everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, amazing home run applesauces, minor league podcast. Nice save. Hi. <laughs> I'm Steve Saiva, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Blahos and Thomas Henderson. How's everyone uh, doing today? Doing pretty good. Pretty good, yep. Uh, better than all the executives at the winter meetings, apparently. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, there's a... Uh, Flu going around or whatever. A norovirus, uh, or no? Uh, was it norovirus? Whatever the stomach bug was. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah. Mark Carrick had a great tweet. Uh, in play runs, <laughs> which was just ten ten. Very well. M- Mark Mark continues to be quite good. I wish he was still on the Mets beat. Well, better that I guess than like mono or something going around. I don't know. Like having a stomach bug. Having a stomach bug at home is bad enough, but having a stomach bug when you're on the road and, you know, like, have to get on a plane? No, nah, I would be crying. I'm like, I'm going to sit in a car for a while and then sit in security and then be on a plane and then presumably sit in another car or a train to get home after that. And the whole time, I'm just trying to shit my brains out. Like, that <laughs> sounds... Um, I guess that's why the free agent market is pretty slow right now. Uh-huh. All right. Keep trade cut places you want to have a stomach bug in. Um, <laughs> as, stomach with, as someone with chronic stomach problems, I feel particularly well uh, uh, qualified <laughs> to comment on on this particular topic. Yeah, stomach problems anywhere outside of home uh, sucks. And then, of course, still they still suck at home. Yes. Yeah. And then, like, all you want to do is get home, like, immediately. Yep. Like. Like, all you want to do is get home immediately, and you're just not even close. It's not even like you could walk, like you were saying, Lucas. Like, yeah. Yeah. Fucking arrows. Where are the winter meetings this year? I, I, I haven't been paying that much attention, because nothing's been happening. I don't remember Arizona. where they are. I think Arizona. I don't know. West Coast somewhere. I, th- I always think it's Arizona, but, you know. They were in not, San Diego recently. I don't yeah. know if they still are. Sounds about right. I, mean, I will not hold it against any of them for not doing. Usually we could be like bitching and moaning about teams not wanting to spend money, which is probably true. And, you know, a conversation we'll have at some point this offseason. But uh, uh, they're in the clear for now. Yeah. <laughs> Unless everyone goes and just the stall next to each other, and you can discuss business. Oh, God. <laughs> Collusion on a scale. Little uh, unconventional. <laughs> Oh god. All right. Well, I'm not really sure how I could segue from that to this, so I'm not going to try. But uh, promote extend trade. And today is is Drupal Cabrera's birthday. He is 38, which makes me feel I don't know old because we think of him as like over the hill, and he's turning 38, and that's not very old. But uh, he had a solid career at the Mets. A 803 OPS and a 117 OPS plus over two and a half years. Um, obviously, like the marquee moment that he had was that home run that woke off home run against the Phillies in September 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, so what other marquee Mets home runs we can promote, extend, or trade here? Um, obviously, Mike Piazza's 9-11 home run. We have Robin Ventura's Grand Slam single, which for... Intense of this uh, exercise, I'm going to count as a home run. We're counting that? Okay, yeah. okay. And then we have Todd Pratt's walk-off 1999 NLDS clincher. Mm. 
is it weird to say that none of these are particularly impactful for me because I was not a fan at any point? That's fair. You were young. You became I'm um, not young, but you became a fan after all of this, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that 9/11 home run is is huge culturally, and that's probably my choice here for uh uh extending. Um but yeah, the the Todd Pratt, the Robin Ventura home runs, like I obviously am aware of them and and appreciate their significance to Mets history, but neither holds any sort of emotional uh uh Significant emotional connection, honestly. Yeah, that's yeah. understandable. I remember the Piazza one the most. Like, even though I was young at the time, obviously I was like seven or six, but like I remember that. Like, I remember watching that. You know? Mm-hmm. And also, these are weird because they're not like, like you could have different, um, you could have different emotional connections to different home runs for different reasons like i don't i the todd pratt home run is like objectively cool i don't think about that in mets history often right like i rarely think about that moment like i think about the piazza home run to cap off the the big comeback against the braves around that time it was like the the eight run inning or whatever because i was like that's the first baseball game i remember being at and like i i was there and i was like oh this is cool you know what i mean i'm like a six-year-old like Mm -hmm. I've kind of under, not understanding why everyone's freaking out, but I remember that day. Like I was sitting behind some dude and I kept kicking his chair and he got mad at my dad <laughs> and yelled at him. And my dad was like, dude, he's like six, leave him alone. And like, it was like, that was like earlier that game when the rest were getting blown out and everyone was mad. <laughs> like, like I remember that game and it's, that's a nothing home run in the long, in the grand scheme. But emotionally that one is like a, I have a connection to that particular mm-hmm. moment. So nothing really happened where the Mets like didn't win the world series out of any of these or it's not like, like, there's no Joe Carter, obviously, where he hit the home run to walk off the World Series. That happened, like, twice ever. But there's just not really, like, a David Freeze moment doesn't exist for the Mets because they never went on to win the thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the Todd Pratt home run is kind of like, that's cool. And there's a Benny Agmayani one, right, in, a, in the playoffs? Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, part of what I guess it sucks for Todd Pratt's walk-off is that there was like a Benny Agbayani, there was an Edgardo Alfonso, Mike Piazza, like... I think the Fonzie one, that was against Arizona, right? In Arizona? Like, I think of that home run, too, because that's like an okay game. It was a Grand Slam or something in Arizona. Like, I remember that game, too. And, like, I just... For some reason, I don't remember the Todd Pratt home run like that. Like, I just Mm. don't. I mean, it's a shame... Obviously, it's a shame they didn't win in 2015, but there'd be a number of choices mm-hmm. there. Um, in more, I mean, you've got David Wright. The Conforto yeah. double home run game yep. would be one of the best Mets individual Mets performances. It still is, <laughs> and I barely remember it half the time. Yeah, that was uh, also another problem. Is when I was like, come looking up like important home runs. It's literally clustered in you know this very small time frame, the late the late 90s and early 2000 Mets because. Mm-hmm. You didn't really have much before and after. I mean, you could you could say you know some 1986 playoff home runs, you know Lenny Dykstra or Daryl Strawberries or Ray Knights, but like but you think other, of, you other think stuff of singles and doubles games. in '86. Like you don't think right, of, yeah, yeah, they didn't yeah. have a walk off home run like that. Right. I guess exactly. David Wright's home run in the World Series is like he's a, yeah. one of the best franchise players of all time, getting his. World Series moment at City Field is maybe up there too. 
Right, that would that, be the that only should one. Have been, yeah. But I feel like the significance of that is kind of diminished because it's like, well, they lost, so they it's lost. like, yeah. Yeah, and that's the tough part because you could say that, but they, none of us have seen them win, so yeah. you could say that about every moment that's happened for the match. Uh, I was, I was like eleven days old. I mean, I existed, so. That's is fair. It? <laughs> I don't, I don't uh, think I remember. Maybe I need, should, I should go into some like hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. Unlock some deep, deep core memories. Mm-hmm. I I hate to admit it, but I'm I'm sitting here thinking about it. The home run that actually sticks in my head most in Mets history is a negative one, and I'm you should be able to guess which one that is. I think, but it's it's Yadier Molina's homer in the 2006 well, NLCS. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean that's a traumatic memory, so <laughs> it's understandable. I mean, that was like that was like the and I, I was late to. It's not that I didn't watch baseball; I just didn't have like it never clicked for me before the 2006 season. And like my first serious baseball memory is is losing my shit running around the house after Andy Chavez's catch, and then they go on to lose the game. What and, a what a tumultuous like half an hour, or whatever. That was. I mean, very good introduction to being a Met fan. Give you some <laughs> yeah, I mean, really high high, and then just yank the rug out immediately. Be like, what? Just kidding. It's actually this. Yeah. So Those are the Mets. Those are the Mets. So I think it's the Piazza one, just because yeah. that transcends yeah. sports. <laughs> Like at the at that moment, it was just that's like a cultural like Lucas said, that's like a mm-hmm. New York City culture thing. I don't think anyone would not think of that when you think of famous. That's going to go down as one of the all time most famous Mets moments ever. Right. That's like one of the things that they have in like Cooperstown just as like uh, a recurring video or something like that. You know, certainly. Yes. I'm torn with Robin Ventura and Todd Pratt because it's like. Todd Pratt's walk-off home run, it meant something. You know, they clinched the NLDS. They were going to the NLCS. Whereas Robin Ventura's thing, it's like just such a weird oddity. Yeah, I think that's what it is with Ventura. If it was an actual grand slam, it probably wouldn't be remembered as fondly. But this is hilarious because it's like he never actually scored. And it didn't matter. So. So I would have been kind of so pissed if I was him, honestly. Like <laughs> he got robbed. You took a away couple my RBI. fucking homer, you morons! <laughs> Let me round the bases. What are, what are we doing? Typical Mets. All right. Um, moving on now. Uh, the AFL season is over. Five weeks, thirty games, and the Glendale Desert Dogs ended the 2023 Arizona Fall League season with a 12-18 and 18 record. At no point in the season were any of the Mets players um, anywhere close to anything that could be considered good. Everyone you them paid, no uh, points. Yeah, everyone who paid attention is worse for having followed five weeks. Anyone who subjected themselves to watching it, we get no points. Certainly, may God have mercy on our souls. Yeah, um, they should trade Kevin Parada to the first team that's willing to take him this offseason. Yeah, so Kevin Parada obviously is the main guy we were all interested in. Um, he definitely had a few weeks to forget. 
He hit 186, 240, 371, which is a 6'11 OPS. And he had a lovely four walks <laughs> to 29 strikeouts in 18 games, which is um, great. That's how you say bad. Yeah. The, of of all the players, uh, excuse me, of all the hitters that the Mets sent, uh, Parada, J.T. Schwartz, Rowdy Jordan, and DeAndre Smith, Rowdy Jordan, he led the bunch with a 255, 367, 373 batting line, which is a barely passable 740 oh, OPS. Fuck. Yeah. The best slugging percentage we have is below 400 in the Arizona Fall League. That's... Yeah. It's not what you want, I don't think. I don't think when you when you think when you send people there, you're like, that's what I want to see. No, it's like golf. But I do think that we need to be a little less doomsdayish than Lucas, at least just based on this singular block of, you know, 30 games or whatever, you know, he actually played because there are some reasons to hand wave away his performance. Um, you know, at the end of July, he he did have an injury, and then when he did come back in the regular season for like 20 games or so, he still didn't really look right. And then the AFL season started right after, so take that into account for however much you want to give it. You know, however much you want to weigh that. Um, you could also say that you know he played 105 games this year plus the AFL season, which is more than he's ever played before. Dude is probably tired. I just just don't care enough either way about the AFL. Like, it's going to sound, I know what it sounds like, but I just don't care. Like, I would like to see him do better. Yeah. I don't really care. I'm going to forget that he was bad in the AFL in like a week. Exactly. Because the, well, I guess by the winter meetings when stuff is actually happening. So maybe like three weeks. But it's just, uh, okay. Can you name, who was was at the AFL last year? Do, Do any of us remember? Uh, Mike Vazel, I think. Was he good? No. Well, he's good now. <laughs> so uh, like, I just don't. Who's exceptionally I, bad? Um, I just don't care. Like, I really like. That's just really the 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 long and short of it. I yeah, it's fair. Honestly, the biggest thing I was watching a bunch of clips of Parada, and again, his swing is different. It's something they've been tinkering on. They, they've been tinkering with all season. They're, you know, I, I don't know. They're, they're throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks and what works. So I feel like it's just hard to get a gauge on Prada as a hitter because it's like every every four weeks something is different with him, which intrinsically, I guess, is not good. But, you know, he was a solid hitter at Georgia Tech, which is obviously a different environment than professional baseball. But it is in there somewhere, and at, at at some point something could click, and then all of a sudden you have the guy that was widely considered as you know a, a top fifteen whatever draft pick. You know what I mean? I I get that. It, it's it's weird that they're tinkering this much with it, and he's and his hand setup is still this bad. Like I don't I don't know. Again, I I think visual visual hit tool evaluation and a lot of situations is um uh, uh, a trap but um when there's as clear a connection between 
his swing and his problems, I think maybe there's some merit to that. And and it's odd to me that they haven't tried adjusting it more drastically amidst all these other changes. But yeah, I don't know. He's what 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 he's the latest thing that he's been doing. So you all know how he had that very odd bat angle where the bat head was literally angled like mm-hmm. at the ground. So what he's doing now is his bat head is pointed upward, like in a more traditional manner. And then when he loads back, he he sinks it down and then brings it back up again. Like, I don't know. It's a timing thing that he really likes, I guess. I mean, if I was the Mets minor league developmental staff, I'd I'd be like, get rid of that immediately. But I don't know. So like easier said than done, I guess. I don't think Lucas is necessarily wrong that the Mets should probably look to trade him, but I also don't. I don't think the AF, his AFL performance uh, should dictate that. I just think that it was a little worse of a prospect than we expected. So, and the Mets are. If you look at free agency, like if the Mets are actually gonna try to put a competitive team on the field, which I know Lucas, you've been in like our Slack channels and stuff kind of up and down on that. I just think mm-hmm. they have too much money tied into the, if you have a Nimmo and a Lindor and uh, Pete's not going to get traded because there's just not going to be, I don't think you're going to get the market for him that you want. Like there's no choice. Like they have to try, like you can't just waste a year of all of that. So if you trade Parada for a bat, because unless you sign like T Oscar Hernandez, there's just no outfielder. You know what I mean? Like, it's such a bad out, like free agent market for hitters outside of Otani, really, that I don't really want that. The Mets have all this money, and I, just, no one, I look at everyone, and I'm like, I don't really want you to spend all the money on the Matt Chapmans of the world or the Aaron Nolas of the world. So go, if you can't, don't sign Yamamoto because something happens. Go trade Parada for someone because you should be able to find another one. And Alvarez is here for a long time. He looks good. So yeah, I mean, even if, uh, even if Parada ends up good, like, I don't. Alvarez is already here, so you exactly, could. Yeah. You're you're dealing from an actual position of strength on the major league roster to build a to get a good player on the major league roster. I don't even. I don't think they'll get anything crazy for Parada, but still, you know, I think he's a guy that they could look to trade for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to say that his future. He doesn't have a future here because. Anything could happen, but given the strengths and weaknesses and everything of the Mets major league team, um, yeah, I don't really see a a very clear path for Parada to slot in anywhere as things exist right now. Yeah, like maybe he becomes an outfielder or something, but the way he's hat he's hit, like what type of prospect is he as an outfielder? Mm. Like, I don't, I don't. And it's okay because he has to hit more if he's going to be an outfielder, so. You're hoping and, and, he's Teoscar Hernandez if he's an outfielder. Yeah, and so like at the end of the day, if they if they do keep him and he ends up as a sec, as a good catcher and you have this crazy catcher platoon, like I'm all for it. Sign me up for that. But also, if they if the Mets feel like that's a good way to bolster their major league roster, and there's no reason to say that you can't sign a, a trade for a guy who is also here next year and the year after that, mm-hmm. you could sign and extend up. Someone he could be in a Soto trade if you want to do that, or he could be in a trade for someone else, like a Corbin Burns trade or whatever, and you could extend him. And then you know, there's plenty of things you could do with a player like that. Like not every prospect has to play for you, but 
Yeah, I wouldn't trade him based on the AFL, but I think he's a guy they could look for because just Alvarez was so good. Yeah, I mean, presumably he'll be starting next season at AA Binghamton. Mm-hmm. He'll presumably mm-hmm. be healthy, well-rested, whatever. So, you know, hopefully we get a better uh, sense of who Kevin Pratt is next season. Um, and then the pitchers. <laughs> we completely forgot about all the pitchers they sent. Um, a bunch of blah. Jordan Gieber, he's the only starter. He's no great shakes. No um, idea who that is. <laughs> Brandon Hardy, Nolan Clenny, Trey McLaughlin, three relievers. They're kind of interesting. Like, you know, if you squint, maybe there's a little something there. Maybe not at the major league level. I don't know. But they were McLaughlin and Clenny anyway. They had decent seasons. Uh, McLaughlin, he had nine appearances. He didn't allow a run in 8.2 innings. Nolan Clenny, he had uh, an even one ERA in nine innings, so he allowed three earned runs. You know, not bad. But, you know, their relievers, their ultimate upside is like middle relief in a non, um, in low leverage roles, most likely. So it's like, oh, okay, whatever. So, yeah, uh, that is the AFL. Woo. Hooray. All right, so we are now down to the end of our uh, players of the year thing that we've been doing. This week we are relieving, we are reviewing uh, middle infielders of the year, and then that's basically going to be every position. Unless you guys next week want to do reliever of the year, up to you. No, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Minor league reliever of the year, no, thank you. That's real sicko mode. That's like, that's... <laughs> We're sickos. That's sicko mode. And I love it. All right, so middle middle infielders, obviously there's a lot of uh, overlap. You know, outfielders, it's kind of more defined. You know, the guy with the best arm is in right field. The guy who has the most range and is just the best, you know, defender, he's the center fielder. The guy who's left is, is in left field. <laughs> and then in the infield, you know, the guy third base has to have a strong arm and, and be quick to react and stuff like that. And the guy at first base just has to kind of be there and catch the ball. The difference between second base and shortstop, especially in the minor leagues, when you have multiple players that are capable of, you know, playing shortstop, playing second base, whatever, it's pretty, you know, pretty slim the difference between the two in some case this is in some cases the guy that plays second base is a guy that's known to have a weaker arm or maybe not the best range or whatever but in most cases you know the person that's playing second base is just kind of a, a matter of who the manager or who the organization or whatever wants to see at shortstop and then whoever's left you know gets sent to second base case in point the fcl roster um Colin Houck, Marco Vargas, D'Angelo Sarmiento, Boston Barrow, they all got playing time at shortstop. And Jesus Baez, Diego Masquera, and A.J. Ewing, they only played second base. A.J. Ewing, he's a guy that the scouting reports did say the arm is a little stretched, so second base is where he is. But Baez is known as being a great defensive shortstop. Masquera is known as being a great defensive shortstop. So the only reason why they didn't play shortstop and were playing second base is because, you know, those other guys are 
more important, you know, uh, organizationally or whatever. Sure. So, yeah, the point is, you know, instead of looking specifically at guys that, you know, got the majority of their innings at shortstop and then looking at guys that got the majority of their innings at second base, whatever, doesn't matter. We're just going to look at two middle infielders who are the best middle infielders, period. So anyone want to throw some hats in the race here? There is there is a correct answer to this. I mean, I yeah, it's it's kind I mean, of it's this. Jet Williams, right? Yes. Yeah. It's hard not to say that Jet Williams was the best middle infielder that they had, period, let alone one of the. I mean, yeah, he's probably their best prospect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean. It's... Like, I think right now I'm leaning putting him one in the system. Yeah, um, it's the same. Like, if I had to do it right now, I know we don't do it for, like, another month or so, but I think right now, like, my preliminary list has him at one. He's just so good. He's 19 and had, like, a 1,000 walks and didn't strike out, and he hits for some power, not a lot of power, but the dude could play. And if he plays second base, he's going to be a crazy good second baseman, I think. Mm-hmm. I think he could play. The outfield scares me a little bit. Like, I think he has the range for it, but the arm is just kind of crappy, which is why he's a second baseman, not a shortstop. But... Mm-hmm. Um, who he's good. <laughs> so, yep, it's him. Yeah, I mean, there's no, no, no. It's just no question. It's yeah. Williams. I would think Acuna's too. Also, maybe Vargas, but because Acuna played, I think he's a second. Did he play shortstop or second base? Uh, I feel like they moved him around. I want to say. Both, but primarily second base. That's what I thought too, but I can't remember off the top of my head, and I did not pull his name up. Let's see, Luis Just Angel better. Acuna in 2023 with Binghamton played more shortstop than. Oh, okay. Base. Then never mind. Put a pin in him. Mm-hmm. But I mean, my yeah. I know Var- Vargas wasn't particularly good with the Mets. I know I would prefer him over Acuna just as players at this point. And obviously Acuna has done some things in the upper minors, but um, neither was particularly great with the Mets, to be totally honest. No, neither was. Uh, Acuna yeah, was in a slump when first showed yeah. up, if I remember correctly. Most of he Acuna's like, numbers came with uh, San Francisco. Uh, not San Francisco. Frisco, excuse me. Are they still? Yeah, they are still the Rough Riders. Yeah, he had an 830 OPS with them, as opposed to the Mets, Binghamton, where he had a 622 OPS, which is not the best. No, he struggled when he came over. And also, like, he's moving to another state and a new team, and I'm not going to, like... Yeah, I get it. Like, I, I, like, Ryan Clifford wasn't particularly good in Brooklyn outside of his really hot start, but I still think of him highly as a prospect and like me and Lucas have talked, I don't want to say shit about Acuna, but we're lower on him than other people. And he's still a top 100 prospect and still a very good prospect in the game. You know, like it's just instead of being 50, he's 70 for me, you know, like that's kind of where I'm at with him, which is less, but it's not, I'm not saying he's bad. He just has things that scare me, which is the, the plate discipline uh, scares me, but Mm -hmm. All right, so any other names we're going to throw out here? I mean, it's incredible 
how bad the guys who started the the year in the system were. You know, a lot of hype for Baez, bad. Yep. Some, yeah. some late hype for Sarmiento, bad. Uh, Christopher Lara's suspended. <laughs> yeah, he yes. was good, and then I wonder why he was good. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Ronnie Mauricio is still Ronnie Mauricio. I mean, he deserves some credit here. Yeah, I know you gotta, warts and all, he still had a good season. That you can't. <sighs> I mean, it wasn't even that good. Is the thing he was league average. It was in slightly, AAA. yeah. Was slightly yeah, so like average. the thing though is we're not saying good in terms of the league or like mm-hmm. the, the the of baseball. We're talking about the system, and in the mm-hmm. system that is definitionally good. That's a problem, and that's why the system was not good, but. He was good for the system. Like, it just is what it is. Yeah, I mean... It's the same thing with Vientos at third base. Like, the dude mashed the AAA. Right. Does right, that right. make him a good prospect? No. But it makes him a good AAA player. And I think uh, Mauricio has more major league potential than Vientos does. Oh, I agree with that, yes. Like, I could actually see a way for Mauricio to be a fine, like, utility player in the majors. Like, he showed me a little more in the majors than I expected. And then he was bad for a while. And then he ended with like an 80 WRC plus or 60, whatever it was. I don't remember. I, I just wrote about it in an article recently. So it's like, in, it's in my head, but it was low, but it was the highest out of him and Beatty and Mauricio and Vientos. So at the end of the day, Mauricio marginally improved his walk rates. He marginally improved his strikeout rates. You know, obviously the, the batting line is very dependent on, you know, the environment. So, you know, hitting 292 is like, yeah, whatever. It's so funny that when you ex- when you put the batting line out, even me, like any baseball fan, would be like, wow, good line. And then you're like, oh, when you look at it, the league, it's like, whatever. Right. When when the league <laughs> average is like 300. Like, what like, in oh. the hell? <laughs> what is going on in AAA? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he had a good... Jupiter? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> he had a good, you know, stolen base, you know... Uh, accumulation there, whatever you know. It's like we know everything. We know the good and bad of Ronnie Mauricio, but he definitely improved as compared to you know 2022 Ronnie Mauricio. Also, if you take out the name, right, and the prospect cachet that he has for because he's been around forever, and the prospect fatigue that we have talking about him. If you tell me that the Mets have a young player who could play three infield positions and kind of stand in the outfield and is a switch hitter who has power, I'm like, fine, put him on the bench. And that's literally Ronnie Mauricio. Mm-hmm. So I'm fine with him being on the Mets next year and being a major league player. It's just he's probably not a starter. And that's fine. You need backups. And he could run. He, he could pinch run for him. And he's he looked like a good base dealer. He looked like he could. He did stuff in the major leagues that was a little interesting. And maybe they could optimize him a little more. And get him into nicer matchups for him, and get him into nicer matchups for his bat. But like he was a he was a top five in middle infielder in the organization. It was just he's not a top one hundred prospect, and that's. I would sometimes. much rather have Ron Mariusa coming off the bench than you know Ruben Tejada. You know what I mean? Like yeah, there's more. There's, up, there's, there's actual much more upside. upside there. yeah. yeah, there's something he could he could go. You could Lindor could miss a week for a sprained ankle, and you could play him at short, and you're like, all right, it's not the worst. It's right, similar to it's, Guillaume, just in a different way. Like right, Guillaume, okay, yeah, better that's, defender, a, that's a better, that's a more recent, I guess, uh, comparison. His bat-to-ball is way better, but he just does not hit for power at all. And he's a better defender by far. But 
you need those guys. You need players who could be utility infielders. So he was he's top five for me in the in, middle infield for sure. It's just Jed is one. It's Jet in the field. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any other names we want to throw out here? Uh, I have an honorable mention here. Okay, I'm curious to see who this is. I'm surprised that you didn't mention him, actually. Okay, let me think now. Middle infielder. Luke Ritter? Yes. Okay. I don't think of Luke Ritter as a middle infielder. You're right. He's a second baseman, right? Yeah, you're yeah, right. He played right. Yeah. most of his games. At second base, right. Middle infielder, in my mind, like translates to shortstop, basically. Um, but you're totally right. Definitely a middle infielder. You mean nice the next season. Dan Ugla, Luke Ritter? <laughs> <laughs> I hate I hate Dan Ugla, but I love Luke Ritter. So <laughs> don't ever make that comparison again, please. <laughs> If I if I had not been lazy today and you know instead of playing Baldur's Gate for four hours, um, oh, and, you were correct, <laughs> dude. Act three, there's there's just a lot. There, there's we're so correct. much to do. Um, a little overwhelming. Anyway, uh, I I started like doing some more robust deep dives into guys for in preparation for our off season list. I did Matt Rudick, and the next guy I wanted to look into just out of personal interest was Luke Ritter. And and then, like I said, I spent four hours watch, uh, playing Baldur's Gate instead. So I I don't – while I very much buy Matt Rudick's production, I don't think I'm going to buy Luke Ritter's is the bottom line. Oh, not you know, at all. He's... You know what's funny? I think we're discovering that I'm looking at it way different than Lucas is because I don't – I'm not looking at it as a prospect thing. Right. Like, oh, me neither. That season and mm-hmm. Luke Ritter, he hit yeah. like seven thousand home runs. Like a hundred percent. He went Barry Bonds mode in Double A. Like yeah, <laughs> he really like did. he he deserves to be on the list too. Oh like, yes. He went crazy. Not I'm not arguing. I, I that's exactly how I've been looking at these awards. It's just then we start talking about them. Oh and yeah, I for sure. No, I have sure. no interest in talking about their the their performance once we say the stats. It's like oh wow, really great season in Double A. Anyway, like <laughs> so. I am a little sad he didn't get his shot in the major because I think he would have got yes. called up, but he broke his hand? Question mark something. Uh, I thought he had a. Shoulder. Was it shoulder? Am I conflating the Tebow broken hand and the Luke Ritter shoulder? I think it was a shoulder. I don't remember what happened, but but yeah, he got basically, hurt. He got yeah. hurt at like the end of like the middle of August, and then that was the end of it. He would have had definitely. I think it would, he would have been a lock for thirty home runs if he mm-hmm. yeah. got. I mean, he ended the season with twenty-seven. So, I mean, I really think teams should be more aggressive giving these org guys a, their shot in the majors once once the season is wound down. And is a little disappointed to see that. Uh, I mean, there were a couple of guys that the Mets didn't give a chance to, and then Ritter was obviously hurt and didn't get a chance to, which which sucks. His transformation is pretty crazy to me. He was never a light hit. I mean, I guess you could say that he was a light hitting infielder. Mm-hmm. And he went from light hitting infielder to just Jose Bautista, like overnight. <laughs> they said, listen, you, they said basically they're like, listen, there's no path for you to the major leagues except that you just do nothing but home runs. Just swing for the fences every time you're up at bat. 
hit the ball hard, hit the ball in the air, and we'll see what happens. And honestly, there's worse strategies. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Totally fine with this. There's I worse mean, strategies to give a guy. They told him just do nothing but hit the ball in the air. And then the same guy went to Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos and everyone else and said, listen, just mash the ball into the ground. Great idea. You see that? I hate that. And the guy's like, you just told Luke Ritter to do it. No. I hate Luke Ritter. <laughs> Fuck, screw that guy. It the, the other unfortunate reality is that in addition to, you know, costing him perhaps the clearest chance he'll ever have in a major league role, uh, shoulder injury not exactly great for hitter power projection. No, and that's not if, this, if this is a dude who, and again, I haven't watched the video extensively on Ritter, I would imagine this is a guy who is maxing out his power by, you know, yanking everything in the air uh, and you know capitalizing on on a lot of wall scrapers, almost you know, Isaac Paredes style. Um, Eduardo Escobar mode too. Sure. Yep. Yeah. A lot of yanked homers down the line, and and that's a viable strategy until you lose very much like Eduardo Escobar until you lose just a little bit of that power, and then you're they're out. They're fly out. Yep. Yep. And then they're ten, twenty feet shorter, and you have no margin for error because you're you're maxing out your limited raw. So, um, yeah. I I look. I like. I love these guys. I love. The, the watching or guys become something more and, and, you know, appearing out of the woodwork basically to, to have little major league careers. Hopefully his shoulder is, is healthy enough for him to come back and, and get an actual shot at some point. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he's going to come back next year and hit like almost the, it, it's basically like you said, the shoulder, if, if the shoulder injury didn't happen, there was this this year was the most direct path for him to get to the major leagues based on his performance. Mm-hmm. Next year, who knows? You know, even shoulder injury aside, let's say that he never got that shoulder injury. Like, is he going to just go ham like he did this year? Next year, I mean, in AAA, if he did that, if the if the environment's the same, he's like setting minor league home run records. <laughs> the crazy thing is, he did better in Binghamton. Than I know he did. He did yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He had 14 home runs in 43 games in Binghamton, as opposed to 13 in 64 games in Syracuse. So he likes those speedies, I guess, as opposed to whatever food Syracuse has, which I can't think of. Anything. Oranges. That's why the college is named. Oh, OK. Right. I made that. I totally yes. made that. The, the, the uh, Northeast, which yeah, is famously known for citrus fruits. Yep, very perfect. Tro- it's perfect weather in Syracuse, New York, to have an orange tree. Infamously <laughs> a very tropical fruit from Florida, you know, but also upstate New York. Also Syracuse. Yes. Oh, no, they have the salt potatoes. That's right. Oh, right. The fucking salt potatoes, mm-hmm. which don't even sound bad. It's just like this is this is just how you should cook a potato why right. why are we making a big deal out of this like because no someone shit, was just doing it no, nothing just cooking that potato put nothing on it you know i i wonder like, I want, put the salt on it real quick let's see what happens it's upstate new york so i bet there's a bunch of you know uh, uh british heritage up there and and as we know the British conquered the world for spices only to just never use any spices in their cuisine. So perhaps uh, they were just boiling their potatoes and eating them as is. And someone said, hey, salt's good. 
and, and that <laughs> was somehow a, a revelation to them. I believe, because I read it, I believe we had like promote extend trade where we were looking at all of the weird like food things that the teams had, like the food sure. uh, alternate teams. I want to say that it was like Irish immigrants that went to Syracuse. It was something area, like that, yeah. The area is also just very salt-rich for whatever reason. So they said, hey, here's some salt and here's some potatoes. These are two things that we like. Let's put them together. I don't know. but Truly truly a revolutionary combo that no one <laughs> yes. has thought of before. Combining potatoes and salt. Just who, who would have thunk? Mm-hmm. I imagine the first person in Syracuse going to their neighbors being like, yo, you heard about this? I put salt on the potato. And they're like, no, you crazy. And then they Get were out. hung as they were tried as a witch. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we had any listeners in Syracuse, they hate us now. No. Also, any British listeners, I probably just alienated all of them. Right, right. That's true, too. Good job. Mm-hmm. So it goes. Yeah. Um. But yeah, looking at the list of second basemen... Um, Slash shortstop in middle infielders. I guess the only other guy would be Jeremiah Jackson. He was good after they traded for him, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. He was um, good. He had 802 OPS. He's Go. another guy who has to max out all the power. To, well, not all of that. He just, like, sells out for home runs and nothing else. Mm-hmm. But he has crazy. He has actual real power. Like, it's just the bat to ball is rough. Yeah. We say, like, Ron Mauricio's bat ball is rough. Jeremy yeah, he's, like, is like, on a league of its own. Which is why he's way worse of a prospect. I mean, <laughs> Ron yeah. Mauricio's bat ball isn't rough. It's his, it's his swing decisions. It's the swing are, decisions. Well, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. What happens when he makes contact with the ball? Um, yeah. I mean, Jeremiah Jackson, I don't actually know what his swing decisions are like. But he can't hit. He can't hit the ball in the zone. Ronnie Mauricio can hit the ball in the zone. He just swings at a bunch of shit he shouldn't be swinging at. Ronnie Mauricio on that. Like, I don't know if people have read. If you haven't, you should go subscribe to Baseball Prospectus and read Rob Orr's most recent piece about his Seeger metric, which is probably the best public-facing thing we've seen that that quantifies how uh, major league teams think about plate discipline. You know, taking the difference between in-zone aggression and out-of-zone takes. Um, you know, like Ronnie Mauricio would rate extremely badly on this metric. Yeah, Jeremiah Jackson, twenty-two home runs, good. Forty-eight walks in one hundred nineteen games, which not terrible. Mm-hmm. And then one hundred and forty-four strikeouts in one hundred nineteen <laughs> games, not great. Definitely not great. That is a the percentage here uh 33.1 strikeout rates which is we've seen worse <laughs> but um i mean not, not what you want they got him for dominique leone yeah, yeah it was i mean do it all the time yeah. do that stuff all the time if you're out of it obviously which is just well what what are the angels what are the angels i mean if he becomes the you know the next travis tyrone in the organization for the next you know Five years, whatever, just mashes a shit ton of home runs. Like, all right, cool, I'm here for that. And he does actually have some, well, not some, he has a lot more, I should say, 
defensive utility than Travis Tyrone did. So his ceiling is higher than that. I had not thought about Travis Tyrone in, uh, I don't know, since when. It's been a while. But yeah, those are basically, you know, those are the top uh, middle infielders. As mentioned, there was a bunch of other guys, you know, Colin Howe, Marco Vargas, Boston Barrow, AJ Ewing, you know. It's a lot, Baez. People, a lot of people who were added to the organization in the middle of the season. <laughs> yes, like these are guys that literally played a handful of games. There's definitely potential there. And, you know, if we're doing this feature next season, God willing, you know, all of these guys had 30, 30 seasons, you know. So why limit ourselves? They had 40-40 seasons. Yes, yes. Was Barrow playing middle infield? I thought he was playing third base, but I could be wrong. Uh, he played some shortstop. Okay. It was – who's the other one? I feel like there's like seven guys that the Mets drafted this year that were like all in the same – Ewing, uh, Barrow. Yeah. Were all like the same type of – Player. Yeah, let's see. Well, like not same uh, type of player, but similar. Yeah. They draft them all around the same time. Barrow got 21 innings at second base, 18 innings at third base. So his future is TBD in terms of, I guess, where he sticks. And another, as we've mentioned before, you know, casualties of the, the roster, not the roster crunch, but the elimination of, of you know, the... Appalachian League and New York Penn League because if there are more teams then these guys could have played more games but unfortunately you know you cut those teams you cut the playing time of these guys and then you have one two three four five six seven guys (laughs) on the same team that all basically play the same position so a little bit of a roster crunch there All right, so that is uh, the show for the week, and we are finally done with our players of the year. I would be willing to do relievers of the year, but I guess you guys are not sickos like me. I cannot make myself care about the Mets minor league <laughs> minor league relievers. I mean, I feel like it's just Nate Lavender, and that's the end of it. So. Yeah, it's Nate Lavender one. Yeah. He should have been in the majors. Yep. Also. Probably. All right. Well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvlahus343. Ken is at KenLavin91. And Thomas is at ZedMetSeason, S-Z-N. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review, and of course we thank you for listening. A reminder, uh, we are Patreon-based, so if you do like our podcast or any of the other ones that are in the Homer and Apple Network, you can subscribe for just $5 a month. And we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.